So Money episode 1490, Reflections and Renewal, Reflection and Renewal on Nowruz, Persian New Year, a conversation with Anna Homayun. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I kind of grew up being like, there's certain things you don't talk about. There's certain things you don't say. There's certain things you just, you kind of keep your head down. You keep it moving. We grew up in a different time. And I said, I, you know, so many times in the fall, my eyes were wide open. I was like, wow okay. They are saying things, they are doing things, they are sharing things. Really, their bravery, their courage, I have to say, I literally walked in awe. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. Well, this week, hundreds of millions of people around the world began celebrating Nowruz. For Iranians and many others who celebrate, this is our new year and a time spent with loved ones reflecting on the past and setting goals for a new beginning. I thought it would be a good idea to touch on this occasion and dive into culture and catch up with my Iranian-American friend, Anna Homayun, who is also a friend of this podcast. Anna is an author and the founder of Green Ivy Consulting, where for over two decades, she's focused on helping students discover practical solutions to promote purposeful learning. Her prescriptive solutions encourage better executive functioning skills, effectively address the culture of teen perfectionism, and they provide real-life advice on navigating social media and technology. She has a new book out this summer as well. Go to erasingthefinishline.com to pre-order. Anna and I spend a lot of the show talking about what we remember about Persian New Year as kids, what it represents, our favorite traditions, and why this new year takes on maybe a little bit of a a different meaning or new meaning with the ongoing revolution in Iran. She shares insights from her new book. And because she is such an expert, I had to ask her about kids and social media. And what do I do? Here's Anna Homayun. Anna Homayun, welcome back to So Money. Edith Mubarak. Ada Shamal Mubarak. Ada Shamal, you're so much more polite than me. I thought it would be fun. Well, you thought it'd be fun. This was your idea that for the two it of us to join. <laughs> you felt you have all the good ideas. Let's be honest. You're the ideas person. Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> We're recording this on the kickoff to Ada Nowruz, which is the Persian Iranian New Year that coincides with vernal equinox, typically the kickoff to spring. Like all New Year's, the Persian New Year, Iranian New Year. And by the way, this is not just celebrated by Iranians. This is also spreads to hundreds of millions of people celebrate Nowruz. Azerbaijanis, yes. Afghanis, Pakistanis, some Indi- some mm-hmm. parts of India, the Kurds. So this is a big deal. And it would be fun to talk about how we experienced it growing up, the learnings. This is a time for renewal. It's just fun talking to you, Anna, because you have been on the show at least a couple times. Your expertise is in helping parents with young children, teenagers, tweens, helping them with executive functioning, organization. Tell us a little bit about your practice. 
Yeah. Well, Farnoosh, it's always good to see you. You are so amazing in all the things you're doing. And I think it's a really special new year for both of us because we both have books coming out this year. And that's why I was like, I sent you a message um, in your Instagram DMs where all good ideas go. And I said, why don't we talk about Persian New Year, which is something we both grew up with uh, and is very special to a lot of people around the world. And my own childhood memories. I mean, it's one of those things that in my family, you just didn't miss and you still don't miss. I'm actually going to my family's for lunch after this. I just have really great family memories of being outdoors and um, setting up the sofre and just having all of these things that really give you a sense of pride and identity and all the things that we as adults have been talking about a lot more in the last decade. But really, when we were kids, you didn't really talk about it in the same way. So reflecting on that, I think, is really important. And I think it's really important for the next generation of of young people to have a sense of pride and community around New Year and new beginnings and spring. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to give you a sense of how far we've come, because I was that kid who you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s uh, with immigrant parents in, a, you know, Worcester, Massachusetts, we, it was not cool to be different other than Irish Catholic or Italian. Even being Jewish was considered a very big, wild difference. I remember every year our friend Stacy would talk about Hanukkah and bring in a menorah. And we were like, what is this foreign? And then you like grow up and you live and you're like, oh, this is like actually a big deal. But fast forward to today, I have a friend whose son goes to a private school in New York. They get a holiday. They, school is closed on Eid, uh, Eid mm -hmm. and Oruz. And Maz Jabrani was on uh, Stephen Colbert, a late night show recently. And maybe not yes. this year, but you know, teaching him how to speak Farsi and, and, and say, you know, happy Eid on the show, broadcast to millions and millions of people. So it's hipper now to be talking about being Iranian, celebrating these customs, what do you remember most about it growing up as a kid? I, like you, it was a lot of getting together with family. There was the the sofre half scene, which mm -hmm. is a symbolic table. It displays um, seven S words mm -hmm. in Farsi that, that represent renewal and the springtime and uh, things like sabzi, which is, gr you know, greens, um, seed, apple. Life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Life, right. How about you? I got also some money. That was yes. Too. That I mean, was everybody funny. likes their AD money. Yes. In fact, in fact, my mom was like, "Stop by later today." And I was like, <laughs> "They take it very seriously." Yes, in my household. Um, no, um, you know, growing up, I just remember that it was like we took it very seriously in terms of we had a very beautiful spread. Even my dad today, I called him yesterday to say, send me a picture. And he was like, it's not ready yet. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get a picture until it's totally ready. And like, you know, he has a whole, every year it's a full everything to the nines. Um, I think one of the biggest things for me, one of the biggest memories from growing up was just feeling a sense of everything new. You got a new outfit. You were in, um, like had a mehmuni. You went to different people's houses. You called everybody. They called you. You wished them a happy new year. It was, it went on for several days. And then on the 13th day, you went to a park and you had a picnic. And I didn't really fully understand that when I was growing up. But um, like you, I, I spent the first 12 years of my life in rural Connecticut. And it was very much like there was very 
few differences and nobody really wanted to be different. So I never really spoke about Persian New Year. And then when I moved to California, when I was 12 or 13, one of the things that I figured out was that so many people celebrated so many different things. And to your point, you know, my nephew, who's seven, he just went to the library in on the peninsula in the Bay Area, and they have a whole Nauru's thing two weeks before for all the kids um, and a ton of students, young people turned out. And so, yes, we're celebrating these things more publicly. And I'm really happy for children to feel a sense of pride and happiness. And I also think social media has given this opportunity for kids to see other people celebrating these holidays and these cultural events in a way that's really positive and promising. So there's not just one way to be any um, any part of any culture. There was one year recently I tried to find a book or two to teach my kids about Noru's because admittedly, I didn't pay a lot of attention growing up to this stuff. You may have been more attentive than I, and I was extremely can we just say a little traumatized with being so different in our community that I wanted nothing to do with Persian music, Persian food. God forbid my parents spoke to me in Farsi in front of my friends. It was like my day was ruined. And I, you know, I, I regret that what it ultimately led to was as an adult who now appreciates her culture so much, I'm catching up. Uh, and I got to go back to school on some of these things. And there is a business Folks, if you are Iranian, Persian, listening, speak Farsi, we don't have enough text, I think, for kids to illustrate these cultural traditions. There was like one or two interesting books. I bought them both and I would love for more to be on the market. My nephew has the book. I think it's the seven S's and yeah. he loves that book. So he went around and he got Superman and he like, he did his oh. own sofa last year with all the S's that he could find sunglasses. Um, he went really, you know, and it was fun for him. Um, yeah, I think that the more that we can create different opportunities for kids to grow up um, seeing themselves, representation. We don't even think about the lack of representation that we saw or didn't see gr growing up and how, you know, looking a certain way or being a certain way was how we thought was normal. Yeah, I, I absolutely um, agree. It's an interesting year also for Nowruz because with the backdrop of the modern revolution that we are still seeing unfold in Iran, but really was heightened in the fall, I would say, <laughs> what do you think about what Nowruz this year represents, particularly for Iranians in Iran? Well, I can't say because I'm not in Iran and I don't want to speak for them, obviously, but I also think that any time for renewal and reflection and um, appreciation of, you know, how far we've come and what are the things that we can um, be grateful for. Um, but I do think it's been a really hard year for a lot of families, a lot of kids. There's been a lot of anxiety. Um, and whether you live in Iran or you live abroad, there's some real things that have been happening. I'm so impressed with so many of the young people. And I say that young people because I realize that I am not a young person anymore in that way, because the people and the young people that are our generation, I don't want to speak for you, but I kind of grew up being like, there's certain things you don't talk about. There's certain things you don't say. There's certain things you just, you kind of keep your head down. You keep it moving. We grew up in a different time. And I said, I, you know, so many times in the fall, my eyes were wide open. I was like, wow, 
okay. They are saying things, they are doing things, they are sharing things. Um, and really their bravery, their courage, I have to say, I literally walked in awe because when you grow up a certain way and you grow up in a certain, and again, we grew up in a very different time in a very different set of historical events back to back that you know, created a sense of fear. You talk a lot about fear in your new book. I'm so excited to read it. I pre-ordered it last week. Um, and I think it's really honest that people grow up with a different sense of fear. And this younger generation that grew up with social media and seeing the rest of the world lives a certain way, the rest of the world has opportunities. They're like, we want those things. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, they really are taking really bold and courageous and amazing stands that I don't, I, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have seen and we wouldn't have seen, right. Um, cause that wasn't shown so readily. Oh, you can take a, yeah. like the way that video and camera and live stream have utterly changed the way we shape, shape information and share information is really critically important. And so for so many of the Iranians in and outside of Iran throughout the world, I think it's, it's been really an awakening in Absolutely. the last year. Mm-hmm. We'll be reflecting on them and, and wishing them um, the best possible year. Let's talk about your renewal this year, Anna, and what this theme means to you. This year, you also have a new book coming out. Would love for you to. We didn't really. You didn't answer my first question, which was. Who I know. What you? do I do? I know. Yeah, I didn't. Mean, I didn't answer it. I totally. I totally went away from that. I'm so sorry. That's because okay. I'm so terrible about talking about. Well, I have to say. So I have worked with teenagers now for about t- over 20 years, and I love my work. I still see teenagers every week in my office. Um, I'm in my office right now, um, and we work on organizational skills. We're now known really as executive functioning skills. So organization planning, prioritization task initiation and completion, and um, really adaptable thinking. Now, we've done that since before Facebook existed, Google existed, and my office happens to be located right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. So I work with kids and I work with on you know kids bringing tech into the classroom since the very beginning. And so my job has always been really interesting, um, I think. I, I always am learning something new. Working with teenagers is always really exciting. Um, and for my next book, which is called Erasing the Finish Line, that's coming out in August, I went back and I interviewed my students from 15 years ago. So they're now in their early 30s. And the whole concept of Erasing the Finish Line is that um, you know college admissions has become this faulty finish line for adolescent development. And it's created this stress, it's created this anxiety, but it's also really not fair to our students that are still growing. It's not fair to families that have this overburden. And we really need to rethink what are the fundamental skills kids need, not just to get through college and graduate, but to, you know, thrive in a world that's ever changing, you know build community, be accepting of others and themselves, have a sense of perspective. And the whole concept is how do we help each kid develop their own blueprint? So I use the stories of my students that are now in their early thirties, which is so exciting to visit with them and hear their stories, but then also with my students today, right? Um, Navigating technology in the classroom, living in a uh, you know, a pandemic adjusted world. Um, It's been really exciting. And I do have I do have you to thank for the book deal because I say this. Oh my gosh. So also on Instagram stories, you in 
July of 2021 had put in your stories how Rochelle Fredrickson had helped you with your proposal, right? For your book. You had at that point sold your book. You were excited. And I was sitting there with like two years worth of like scraps of paper that at this point was like, what am I going to do with this? And it was right about my birthday. And I saw the story and I I'd sent you a DM. I said, did it work? I mean, how was it? And she goes, you were like, my book sold. And I was like, sold. So I yeah. talked to Rochelle and that was my birthday gift to myself was working with Rochelle. Phenomenal, you know, like gift to myself, the best thing ever. And within six to eight weeks, she helped me take what I had already, you know, like, and then just shaped it. But it was like, it would never, it would no. never have Rochelle, been. She just texted me actually. We've been on a text back and forth today because she is a forever friend after that. She's you know, an amazing, who, amazing human. Yes. Yeah. And she's been on this show uh, at least once and she is a uh, book proposal coach and so much more. I mean, she has so yeah. much knowledge on like marketing a book and all of that. And I have to say, you know, and I want to say this because I'm one of those people that people know that when I refer someone, it's because I genuinely am mm-hmm. like this person changed changed my life. And and I say, you know, connection is part of the book that I just finished writing that's coming out, you know, erasing the finish line, but the connections and how you get connected to people and having, you know, stronger connections and looser connections and knowing people in different places. But, you know, I hadn't seen that Instagram story and Rochelle, the minute I met her, what was her brain works differently than mine. And that's what you need. You need people who's, who see things in a different way than you do, who can take what you, I mean, and I, I remember I was with my mom, we were on vacation and I met with Rochelle and she made some comments that I literally, it took me two days to process. And they were great comments, but it was kind of like where you had to process it. And it was like, then it was a hurricane in New England, you know, summer of 2021. And then I just started writing nonstop. Yeah. And my mom said a couple of days later, she goes, oh yeah, you were in that focus zone where like I could have come and like dropped, you know, all this noise. You would not have been. And I was like, yeah, I needed Rochelle. I needed two to three days to process what Rochelle said. And then I needed. So anyways, without that story, I would have never, it would have never all transpired. And it was absolutely like, so thank you. I belated thank you. You're welcome. But well, I love a question for you from our sponsor, Prudential, and I'm asking a lot of our guests this month this question, which is this. What was a moment that propelled you to the next level of your financial life? Was there like a moment oh. when you felt like you had arrived or? So when I was 23, I started my own business and it was by accident. Um, I had been laid off from my first job in investment banking and I knew that I wanted to work with kids, but I didn't know what it was going to look like. So I read a couple, actually, I read a couple books in the early 2000s, including um, not to give him a plug, but like, let's give him a plug. A Smart Woman Finish Rich by David Bach. That totally mm-hmm. changed my perspective. That was one of the first books. You have, you have to remember what time it was, right? 20 years ago. And then I hired an accountant who's still my accountant today. And uh, those two things really just leveled up, like thinking about taxes, retirement, savings. Um, I'll never forget my accountant said to me, um, like I was like, oh, I feel so rich. He's like, you have not put any money away for your retirement. I was like 23. Then I was like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know that I would have started saving in the same way. Um, and again, I still, you know, have the opportunity to 
spend, I I love your philosophy on how to spend on things that are important to you, that bring you joy, that bring, it's not just about like saving in this frugal, crazy way um, that just brings like so much stress and anxiety. But I think, you know, knowing the different things out there, we didn't talk a lot about money when I was growing up. um, And I just, I didn't feel like, I I felt like when I was in my twenties is when I really was like, okay, I'm going to make some certain decisions about how I live with money and how I treat myself and how I, um, you know, allow myself to do certain things, but also save in a way that makes me, you know, feel comfortable. I was just on television today and the question, the anchor asked me like, why do you think it's so important to learn about money growing up? And I'm like, because when else are we supposed to learn it? The schools aren't really mandating it. And, they, and frankly, even if they do, that's not where you really learn the life skills, you know, uh, and money is a life skill. Money is a real life skill and feeling comfortable with, you know, again, there are just so many different ways to live. Um, and I love your, I love how you share that, not just on the So Money podcast, but also in um, on social media every day. I love your ideas. So thank you. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little about social media because we often talk about how it's this treacherous place and we have to be careful. And I have two young kids and I am terrified of handing them a phone, let alone the internet uh, or like social media when they are uh, older. But you just already gave at least a couple of examples of how it has not just helped your life, but like it has brought the Iranian community together. It has spurred a revolution in, in, in Iran. It for you led to the next chapter in your career. When you're educating parents and their young kids around social media, and boy, has this podcast gone everywhere at this point, but like, <laughs> okay, we're just going That's over. okay. We're going to go, we're going to, you know what, honestly, there's no script here. It's just everything right. I wanted to learn from you. Throw in. What do you think about social media and kids and phones and kids and what's the right what's the right introduction the right relationship well in social media wellness which was my last book I talk about this three s's um, the three s's there's s's in here too um, healthy socialization effective self-regulation and overall safety the biggest thing that I think we also have to think about is the default isn't you give your kid a phone for 24 7 access you know even I had a conversation with a mom of an eighth grader last week and that was really where she was at she was like oh yeah we gave our son a phone and that's now become a challenge and I said well did you give it to him from zero to 60 and she's like yeah oh there was an option and so that's one piece right So the default when you when a child first gets a phone should be the parent has the phone. There's an agreement in place because it's much easier to make an agreement with a kid before they have a phone than after you've given it and you're trying to work backwards. Um, And then really putting the parameters in place to help them get motivated to make good decisions, whether or not you're watching. Because, you know, honestly, every kid is different. Every kid's maturity is different. So for one kid, they, it might be very easy to follow guidelines and rules that are set within their family and community. And for another, they might need extra time structure and support around that. But the idea is, you know, helping students understand what is healthy for them socially and how can they effectively self-regulate. And self-regulation isn't just managing their time. It's managing their t- energy and managing the drama. So how do they you know, deactivate, deescalate, move on. If something happens online that makes them feel uncomfortable, where is their overall safety? Are they reaching out to adults, right, that they feel comfortable with? And I think 
to, to your point, especially for kids who grew up as immigrants or, or the fa- in, in immigrant families, you know, social media and WhatsApp and all of those things can be a total lifeline. I have so many stories. I mean, all of my cousins who I never see because they live across five continents, right? My first cousins, I have 40 first cousins. Um, they, a lot of them are my, I know I have a big family, um, but, and most of them are um, on Instagram, And so when the pandemic happened, we used to have family events on my mom's side where we would get on Zoom and we were across four to five continents, depending on the time. So pretty cool. Right. Um, But again, those are ways connection can really be forged. And I I, I don't want us to discount that. Um, Particularly, we talked we started this conversation around being an immigrant, feeling like this sense of identity, this sense of belonging, this sense of pride. You know, my my cousins who grew up in Iran grew up going to Sunday family dinners with 30 people at it. I didn't grow up with that. Um, They live very, you know, all of them have lived different lives, but being able to see and experience and communicate in much more readily real time, I think is pretty extraordinary. And we shouldn't discount that, um, that part of social media. No, you're right. 40 cousins. I know. Yeah. My, I have, my mom has seven siblings and my dad has three. So and they go. all had multiple choice. Yes. So there you are. I mean, something like that. So yes. Um, do you, now let me ask you, what were your childhood memories of Noru's growing up. Yeah, it was like everything you described. Probably we were, we didn't have as much family here. We, it was like my family and then my dad had an aunt and then we had a lot of friends. My mother is extremely extroverted. She cannot be alone. She will find the Persians and she oh my goodness. friends <laughs> with the Persians. She will be the connector. Even though she's like new to the community, she'll run into a woman in the grocery store. She'll find a woman in the schoolyard. She'll find a woman, you know, and then she'll be like, Great. what's your number? What's your number? What's your number? Everybody come to my house. So growing up, we had a huge extended family, I like to say, you know, friends who were eventually like family to us because we saw them all the time at the Mahmoudis. And Aiden Oruz was very much that. It was a continuation of, of getting together, eating. I remember there was this one sort of patriarch in the community who uh, everybody really respected and revered. He was a doctor, no less. You know, that was like, you probably had that guy in your in your group. We had, um, yeah, we had, we had all of those things too. Yeah, I mean, we called him doctor because... Yeah. You know, there were like a million doctors in the Persian community, but he was the doctor. He would invite us all to his home. He had a beautiful home in Boston and he would give at the front, you'd open the door and you just knew he was going to give you a a dollar coin, a $1 coin, which I had never seen until I went to his house. I was like five, six years old. I was like, what is this? Can I actually use it? Yes. And I felt so rich in that moment at that party. It's just a, it's just like great. You know, I don't think it's anything different than how a lot of us celebrate the Mm -hmm. new year. It's all about putting your best foot forward, all your hopes and dreams for the year captured. Although we get two weeks of celebration. I think it says a lot about the community. We love a good party. I mean, Mehmunis, which you mentioned earlier, and I talk about them in my book, these were weekend events. Every weekend, it was just about whose house was it going to be this weekend? It was a rotation of gatherings. And my parents, I think like a lot of their friends in the community, you know, these days I'm like, oh, it's past nine. I can't bring my kids or I got to get a sitter. No, they just 
They just rolled us into the Mayhuni. Yeah, you were falling asleep on the in the in the, in the uh, coat closet. The coats, the coats. Yes, the coat closet bedroom. Yes, you. Yeah. Um, and then saying goodbye at an Iranian uh, party is going to take you about two or three hours. Um, but you, you know, it's so funny. I actually didn't grow up with a lot of family here too because my parents came here in 1976. Um, they were planning on just staying for grad school, and then um, I was born, and then the revolution happened the same Similar. year. So. So I say, yeah. so I say, so we stayed. So I didn't have a lot of family growing up either. But when we lived in Connecticut before we moved to California, we had a very similar childhood. And then when I moved to California, we actually had some extended relatives that lived in California, like my dad's cousins or, you know, and again, it would be like second or third cousins. And then you find, you know, you've, um, so you're going around the Bay area, um, visiting all of them. And, uh, that's the other thing is that you have community. We had this one photo not, not too long ago on aid. And it was like my first cousin who lives now in the Bay area, my second cousin, and then their child. So my third cousin was like in a row on on a couch. It was pretty funny. Well, Anna, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a really fun all over the place conversation, but I knew it would be. I knew it would be. I knew I was going and getting myself into. Thank you so much for joining us. Tell us your book again. And of course, we'll have you back closer to the pub date, but tell us again where we can pre-order. So the book is called Erasing the Finish Line, The New Blueprint for Student Success Beyond Grades and College Admission. And you can find it everywhere that books are sold. Great. I will put the links in our show notes and thank you again. Come back soon. Thank you. Thanks to Anna for joining us. Visit erasingthefinishline.com to pre-order her new book, which comes out in August. I'll see you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh All Things Investing with our special guest, Prudential Financial Planner, Sarah Benton. Until then, I hope your day is so money. <laughs>